0: Uh, hello, world. Uh, welcome to the Wheels for All podcast. Roll on. Wheels for All is a student-led, nonprofit organization that has delivered over 100 bikes for low-income families as part of our mission to provide free and reliable transportation for everyone. For our first episode, we are here with the wonderful cyclist Oliver Anderson from Denmark. He runs a website called Behind Handlebars. You guys should go check it out at BehindHandlebars.net. Okay, so Oliver, uh, tell the listeners a little
1: bit about you. What do you do? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think it's such a great initiative that you, uh, you guys are going on, especially watching here as a, as a Dane because uh, cycling is so much a, about our culture and how we get around and seeing that they really put that into good use for people who need it. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, uh, my name is Oliver. I am born and raised in Copenhagen, the capital of Denmark in Northern Europe. And uh, I have a project called Behind Handlebars, which boiled down to its essence is a project where I show my life from behind the handlebars of a bike by taking pictures. And I have been doing that for a little more than five years now. And uh, that has taken me to a lot of different places uh, that I never would have imagined that I would be. So it has been quite the journey and it all just started with a bike here in, in, in my city of Copenhagen.
2: That's, that's really, really amazing. Um, what inspired your love for cycling? Like when did you first start? And...
1: I mean, here in Denmark, we basically learned to cycle as soon well as we could walk. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a part of our culture. It's, not a, it's a part of our heritage. So. When I started getting into biking on a regular basis was just to get to high school, actually. I went to high school in the middle of the city and I lived in the suburbs. And it was basically just, it was easier, was faster. And it was cheaper just to take the bike and, and the bike, the seven kilometers. I'm not sure how many miles that is, but uh, that was easier. So I just got used to, okay, I'm just gonna do that for the three years that there's high school in, in Denmark in uh, summer and, and in snow as well. And uh, then it just became a part of my daily routine to make it the, the way we do things and easy to just bike for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 kilometers a day easily. Um, so that kind of laid the whole foundation to why, we, why I bike, basically just because we all do it and I've been doing it my whole life as well. Specific in relation to my project was actually a funny story because that was a moment that kind of put cycling into another perspective for me um, it was like a, a summer day i remember it quite vividly that's the funny part and i was sitting in my apartment uh, that i had with my ex-girlfriend and it was like a really hot summer day and i was off from school and i thought okay I, it's really good weather i should do something about it and i thought to myself maybe i should just go and and see some of the things that tourists, when they come to Copenhagen, they decide to see and that would be, for example, The Little Mermaid, if you've heard of that, that's a very big tourist attraction. But as you might also know from your own city, like you never go to see the things that tourists go to see in your own city. And I wanted to kind of change that and kind of just uh, see those things and, and, and pay attention to my city instead of just biking from, from A to B, as I do all the time getting to, to high school or to job or anywhere else and of course I just decided to take my bike because that was easiest and most convenient and that experience kind of laid the whole foundation to my project that I figured out okay the bike is actually such an amazing tool to just go and explore things and explore places that you might never have seen before or places that you might have taken for granted before in your life. So during that summer and winter, I decided to just sometimes like put a finger on the map and say, okay, I've never been here in Copenhagen. Maybe I should just go and take a look. And uh, I did that for a long time. So that was kind of my, my whole inspiration for doing the project. But I worked around with it a bit and, and this whole experience, I kind of wanted that to, sh- to, to share it with people. And before I started Behind Handlebars in 2015, I didn't have any experience with social media or photography or uh, for that uh, at all. But I, I wanted to kind of combine all these things. I had my city that I've grown really fond of, and I had the bike and I had this GoPro camera that I bought, and I kind of worked around with it. And then just one night in 2015, um, this phrase came to me, life behind bars, as you say, when when you put people to jail, right? And I thought, okay, life behind handlebars, thats going to be the thing. I'm gonna start documenting my life from behind the handlebars of the bike, and I'm gonna take a picture every day and uh, put it on Instagram. And the very next day, I just uh, created the Instagram account, took the first pictures, and then it was it was on. Yeah,
0: that's that, yeah, that's
1: really cool. Yeah,
0: because um, like I know that like as you said, like you kind of like got the idea for like starting your project, like like the, like you know you're kind of like bored one day and you're thinking of something to do. And then, you just, and then it just comes to you, right? So like, yeah, I feel I like, you know, like especially like during the pandemic, like uh, more recently, like this past year, like I can kind of like relate to that too, because I remember like at the beginning of quarantine, I didn't really go out of the house much. Cause so I just kind of stayed at home. I really pretty much did nothing. And then mm-hmm. one day I was kind of bored. I was like, I played, I, I think I like played video game for a bit and I got bored of that. So I thought like, I, what do I do like for the rest of the day? Cause it was only like two or three in the afternoon. And I decided, Like, I haven't gone like biking in a really long time, actually. I hadn't gone biking in probably like a year or since like the summer before that. So then like, I I asked my sister, like, do you want to go biking with me? She said, sure. So we ended up going biking around the neighborhood. And that was actually really fun because I hadn't gone biking in a really long time. It was kind of like refreshing, you know, just like, kind of like just go around your neighborhood. And so like, in the last, like, in the last few months, I've done, I've done like a lot of biking.
1: It's, it's, it sounds like it's exactly the same situation that I was in, right? I mean, it's a shame that you we, we both should be bored before we really started to get into biking farther than just like getting around. But it is in these moments that I think the bike has been particularly fantastic during the quarantine. Because it's just, it's something you can do and it's something you can get around. And it's also something you can be social around, but also keeping your distance, right?
0: So um, you've been to a lot. I'm sure you've been to like a lot of places um, while, while you've been cycling. So what's your what's your favorite
1: place that you traveled to? Uh, I mean, uh, there's really only one place that can top that list, and that's uh, North Korea that I visited in the autumn of 2019. Oh, I mean, that's a whole a whole story in itself, really. But it's uh, fascinating and. Thought-provoking at the same time, because of course you hear a lot about North Korea, and you see a lot about North Korea in the media, and you hear mostly bad stories about a regime that's run by a brutal dictator, and it's mm-hmm. deeply depressing to hear about a, a, a people that is so suppressed as the North Koreans are. But I got in touch, or I, I met a guy that arranges tours to North Korea, and asked, he asked me, "Hey." You want to arrange the first Danish bike tour to North Korea? And he said, and I said, sure. I mean, I, I couldn't say no to that. So, of course, I had a lot of thoughts going into why I decided to do it. And if you even should go and support a regime where mm, a very, very small part of the money that you actually bring into the country is going to the people. But at the end of the day, I also decided that there's nothing. There's not going to be anything good coming out of just looking and not doing anything. I believe that some sort of cultural exchange and trying to open up uh, the world can only be a good thing. So also show, so that's kind of a two, two, two-sided thing. One part is to show to, especially the Western world, that North Korea is also... 70 million people or how many that lives in north korea it's not just the regime but people they also they go to work and they have a life and they go play basketball uh, with their friends i mean they do all that kind of things as well uh but also for the north korean people to show that not all western people are are evil and uh, because that's how they are kind of getting uh, indoctrinated to think so I went into that and decided, okay, that's that's going to be my approach to doing it. And of course, it was an absolutely amazing experience for a guy like me that loves exploring new places and kind of this uh, wanderlust thing. I mean, there's nothing bigger than going to North Korea because there's so few people, there's so few tourists. So that in itself is just amazing, uh, but not amazing. Uh, that's it's the wrong word for it. If you take it solely at, as an experience and not as on the expense of so many people that has a really difficult life in the country. For me, it was an amazing experience. Uh, but also because the uh, nature is stunning. I mean, it's so beautiful, very mountainous. And we were there during the autumn with all of the different colors and the leaves. And we had it basically to ourselves, just biking around the countryside, seeing things that no Westerner ever has seen before. So that in itself was just a very, very big experience, both uh, culturally but also in terms of cycling.
2: Um, when you travel to different countries, like how long do you usually stay there for, bike around, and like take pictures and stuff?
1: It's very different, actually. Sometimes I just take out a day or two from my calendar, just contact like a local bike shop, and say, "Hey, I have this project. Can I borrow a bike?" and I'll. Show some love on, on my social media to, to your guys because you're doing some cool things in, in your local way. I and mean, I borrow a bike, go around. Uh, I plan at different different stops, but also just hop down an alley and see okay what's here. Uh, I do that the most. But for example, with the North Korea trip, it was a whole week, so it's it's very different. And I love the fact that it's possible to to combine it with the. Uh, if i'm on holiday with my family or with friends or with my girlfriend they all know that i i I want to take out a day or two to just go about and do my own thing and if people want to join me that's awesome but they shouldn't feel obligated to do it because i know it's my thing yeah so it's, it's very different
2: that's that's really really cool um where's one place you've always wanted to go
1: oh there's a number of places that i wanted to go um talking cycling i very much want to go to the Alps. I haven't been cycling in the French Alps yet, and that's a big cycling thing. And for every cycling mainly like European, it sounds like the obvious thing to do. I haven't just been around to do it, uh, but I also really want to visit uh, South Korea, no, South uh, South Africa. That's one place that I really want to go. So I think uh, that's on, on the top of my list uh, for go-to places. I want to go to Cape Town.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like, I kind of like how like it like, because like in Europe, like, I feel like all the countries are like kind of like closer together. So like if you want, if you like lived in one country, you can just like really easily kind of just go to another for like maybe a weekend or something. And you can just like stay there for a little while and just like kind of like get to know the place. Like here in America, like it's really, it's a really big country and like there's not much like, like we're, like, we're in the Midwest right now. And like, it's kind of just like some big cities and then there's like a bunch of nothing in between.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know the exact sizes, the size comparison, but I, I mean, I can imagine Europe is about the same size even smaller than, than the US, right? So it is very easy both to take a drive, but also because there's so many countries with big metropolis, it's, it's so interconnected, right? So before uh, COVID, it was just so easy and so cheap to just take a flight, go to Paris, go to Berlin, go to London, be there for a weekend and uh, and then fly right. back. I mean... That's, that's really something to do, you do. And I can imagine it's yeah, it's difficult in the US. And for us Europeans, it always sounds strange when Americans, they talk about that they haven't really been around to visit uh, uh, San Francisco, for example, or New York, because we here are so used to travel. We do it all the time because it's so easy. And it's just, it's very interesting to hear about how, how different it is when you are not in and as interconnected, uh, like kind of uh, logistical part of uh, your, your your society than 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 that we are. It's just as, not as closely knit, right?
0: Uh, so you said you were from uh, Copenhagen,
1: that you like you you were born and you were like raised in Copenhagen.
0: Like, what's your like? If someone like traveled to Denmark or to Copenhagen, what's one place that they should absolutely visit?
1: Oh yeah. One place that you should absolutely visit. I feel like there's a lot of the vibe of real Copenhagen is just walking around in the right in the right neighborhoods. Um, we have uh, this urban neighborhood where I live that's called Nørrebro. Uh, I think that's a place with a lot of like small chic shops uh, that you can just walk around and get some good, good some good cakes and watch some and go in a shop and take a look at some some fashion and like I feel that's something you should do uh um, other than that what would i recommend because it's i don't want to say anything that's too touristy you know i mean everyone comes here to see the little mermaid and go to a walk on our like big shopping street but that's not the real the real Copenhagen. the real Copenhagen is just to rent a bike and just go around exploring places i feel like that's absolutely the right way to do it. and just take out a day and spend some time we have some canals in the city uh, and I think that's quite extraordinary for for uh, a capital city that you have a place where the locals could just go, go down and hang out and go swim in the summer. So, so close to the city. And uh, I think that's something you should do if you're here during the summer. So that's, I don't know if that's kind of a boring answer, but that's, uh, I, I try to say something that's not what, what you can find in the guidebook, right? Yeah, I, would, I can
0: definitely like get that because like, I remember when I was like in elementary school uh, and my family and I went to New York City for a vacation one summer and like the only thing we really did there was we went to like the tourist attractions like the museums and like the, like, the Empire
2: State Building and we kind of like walked around like uh, Central Park for a little bit and then
0: like we didn't really do much else besides that so like I was thinking to myself like if I were to go back to New York City again because New York City is a really big city right and like there's so much to do I think what I would do is just like, like just like walk around you know? Yeah. like maybe maybe I could also like get a bike just like bike around the streets. I feel like that's like a really good way to
2: explore a new place.
1: I mean, biking in New York City is something I wanna do as well. I think that's super unique to bike, uh, to like weave in and out of traffic in New York. I think that's so iconic, uh, just looking at like the whole bicycle messenger culture. Uh, I don't know if I would ever dare to do it in the way that they do it, but I just think that's it's a fun way to experience the city. But it's an interesting take about like going to exploring the, the touristy aspects of the city because even though we all agree that the real way to explore a city is not to go see the touristy places we end up doing it anyway when we go to see a city for the first time so it's because it's a good introduction to the city and you don't want to miss out on it right so maybe it's just uh, you should just get locked in on okay i have to visit the city twice in order to see it
2: fully I mean I honestly feel like tourist attractions are overhyped. Whenever we go on vacation, I love to look at like smaller villages and stuff to like really understand the culture of like the area and stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like that's happen- that happens all the time. Like it never lives up to the expectation to go to a- to a touristy place. You often you go there and you spend time with a-, a 100 200 other tourists and you feel like okay, this is not authentic at all. And that takes away everything. And that was what was so fascinating about North Korea, for example, is that, okay, we had it all to ourselves, and that's so rare in the world we live in now, where everything is so interconnected, and you go to uh, every place that you can find on TripAdvisor, and there's just a bunch of people, and you feel like, okay, I've seen it, let's move on, right? But the real experience you remember is when you walk down an alley and just explore some things, and you find something, a hidden gem, or a cool cafe, or... Um,
2: like, so... Ever since you were little, like what would, what was, what did you imagine for your future? Was this something you like always thought you were gonna do, or how did that come up?
1: Uh, cycling or doing the behind handlebars thing.
2: Um, doing specifically the behind handlebars thing.
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I it all I kind of started in, in in 2015, where I also started my project, where I really got fascinated uh, by the whole communication channel that social media in essence is like it's a, it's it's a direct communication channel you have with all your followers and i watched a lot of casey neistat you heard about him mm-hmm. yeah the youtube vlogger yeah okay. the og vlogger And uh, thought his way of, of doing it was just wow it was so cool like the way that you could just go around and document your daily life and when i kind of discovered uh, these aspects i thought okay cycling is really unique Copenhagen is also really unique and like the whole vibe that I wanted to share I thought okay that is something that I wanted to share but up until that I never thought about doing anything on social media like I just had my personal Instagram account but it's not been something I aspired to do aspire like wanting to create a community or travel the world it hasn't been something that I've particularly thought about it's just something that that came about and just on top of each other all the time.
2: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, oh, oh sorry. Um, uh, so, like speaking of like travel
1: the world. So obviously, like, uh,
0: the recent pandemic, it's been like really difficult for everyone, and a lot of things have had to be
1: canceled, and none of us can really go anywhere. Like, how has this pandemic like affected your cycling uh, plans? Quite not as much as I would have thought it would actually. Uh, the interesting thing is that like two years ago, I discovered that uh, road cycling. Like dressing up in proper road cycling gear was actually a lot of fun, and the funny funny thing is that if you've asked me three years ago if I could ever imagine myself being on a road bike in cycling gear, I said no, never, never, Mm -hmm. ever, ever. But I started to really enjoy that and set an ambitious goal of 2020 riding 10,000 kilometers, and uh, in order to do that, I just had to bike a lot on the road. So in that sense, uh, the, the, the. The covid situation made that easy because i just had a lot of spare time to just go ride outside the city and that's that's a different kind of riding and i think that's also one of the fascinating things about the bicycle i mean you can go a whole life at least for me and feel like you know the ins and out of it and what you feel like you get the most value out of from it but then it all gets turned upside down and now i just i do road cycling all the time and i feel like that's what I am so turned on by with the bicycle. And it wasn't at all like that three years ago or two years ago. That was just go exploring and being social and get new experiences and not cycling for exercise or cycling for riding fast. Um, But it has, of course, affected my year. I had a lot of uh, events that I was going to participate in, both in Denmark and around the world. Um, I was in talks to go into France to do like a big cycling race there. Called Bot, which is a really ambitious uh, amateur race, but also I was in contact with uh, again, some organizer wanted to get me to, to South Korea to do a bike race there, which was also really, uh, really, really interesting. And I just had to say, okay, this is not gonna happen this year, but uh, I'm just gonna have to try and do it in, in 2021 instead. And that's gonna be possible right now. It's a bit <laughs> unknown, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, the way you started this is like very, very inspiring. Um, do you have any advice for people who want to start something like this, but are afraid to?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, one advice that I was and am very inspired about is to take it back to Casey Neistat, is uh, a quote that is, ideas are easy, execution is everything, mm-hmm. uh, which for me is boiled down to the fact that you should just do it. like. Just just try and then you'll learn along the way. No one is born an expert or world champion to anything. So if you're passionate enough about it and persistent about it, just do it. Because for me, I, I still have the very first pictures I uploaded to Instagram on the Instagram account today. So you can scroll all the way back five years and see how poor I was <laughs> at, at taking photos and editing and see how far just doing something every day and trying to get better how far that can take you Uh, because that's really the essence of it but also i i see from my perspective that a lot of young people particularly they aspire to become influencers or uh, getting paid to, to do social media and that's awesome and all but i don't think it's a very enriching life to just do it to do that living or aspiring to do that living just for the sake of doing it because it's it looks fun because it's, I mean, it's not, it's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to say it's hard work because being in a position where I am, I'm very privileged to get a lot of possibilities and uh, that a lot of people, uh, other people I'm, I'm not getting. But if you put yourself out on the line and being yourself uh, on social media and wanted to make a career of that, I think that's, psychologically i think that's difficult particularly for young people and it's a very dangerous culture with the whole social media and uh, it's something that i think it's gonna turn for the better at some point and we are kind of reaching a like a, a peak in our social media consumption uh, right now where people want self-gratification all the time and that's going to be better but i think my advice is don't want don't strive to become an influencer unless you have something you want to say or a way to do it that you think is relevant. There's got to be something more to it than fame. Because you're either gonna just be bad at it, or not uh, interesting to, to follow or, uh, or be around. But it's also gonna break your neck in the long run, because you're gonna get so tired of it. And that's gonna make you miserable. So yeah, that was kind of I did, a few a few of my takes of, of being in this atmosphere for the past five years.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like yeah, social
1: media has become like
0: a really big part of our lives, like even more than it was just a few years ago. Especially with something like like TikTok, like you can get famous really fast. So I feel like everyone's like been trying
1: to do that. So and I feel like I, I'm I'm a bit older than you guys, and I feel it's real. It's very unfair that you guys have been born into it because I think that puts such a big pressure on you guys to just be on social media all the time. Like that's a culture that you're interconnected all the time and you have to, I mean, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a younger brother who just graduated high school as well. And even though we are just, I mean, we're seven years, eight years apart, there's just such a big difference being born like kind of before the internet and being born with the internet that the way we are connected and what is, what we individually feel is expected from ourselves, from our peers. And I think that is psychologically super tough to be a part of. Uh, No matter what you wanna do with social media and how you do it, I I think it's a really tough environment.
2: I mean, yeah, I really resonate with that because at Wheels for All, I work in marketing and with the social media, especially because I joined right when the pandemic started, it's really hard to make a connection online, especially cause like you can't talk in person and stuff. And to make an impact with someone like with just one post, it's really, really important. And that is like quite a bit of pressure.
1: It is, and you, you could always find someone when you work with social media or, or wanna work with social media that is better than you or is doing something different than you. The thing is, there's no way of knowing if they actually are. I mean, you can look at some numbers, but you can't really know if they are but you're just always going to be behind and always going to want to be better. It's, it's never enough. And when I was working with my, with the bus full-time, I mean, I feel like I have a somewhat healthy relationship with my social media account because I have managed to find a way where I'm not exposed myself. I mean, I don't have to think about social media when I'm out meeting with the, my friends or going to dinner because that's not my that's not my signature, my signature is biking. So I can kind of put put it on the sideline most of my time so I don't feel that pressure but still there's always a pressure to better myself and that is in terms of getting reaching more people or getting more likes and all these kind of things are really unhealthy to look at because what is enough when are you happy for many people I think they're only gonna be satisfied when they are the very biggest and even then are they then gonna be satisfied so it's just it's a screw without end right
2: yeah, I mean, it's a constant cycle, and even if you have a really good initiative, social media is something you always have to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's so tough. It's so tough to constantly be at work. So you have to find a balance, and it's difficult. So, like, I'm sure you've, like, been to, like, a lot of places
0: around the world. <laughs> and then, like, in the process of doing that, like, you've probably received a lot of, like, tips and tricks for people about, like, what to do, maybe, when you're traveling. So, like, maybe, like, what's, like, the best, like,
1: tip or trick that you've ever gotten? Best tip or trick, one of the biggest experiences that I, uh, it's not a tip or trick, it's just an experience that I got like kind of recommended, uh, was when I visited Iran uh, in 2018. And that's also a place that's like kind of closed down and that's what fascinated me about it. And uh, it was, we, 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 we went a walk around the city and then we found like this big mosque. And it's interesting when you travel in, in Iran, I mean, because then When you travel in Iran, everyone is of course, uh, they are all Muslims. And uh, coming from Denmark, which is a highly atheistic country where we don't believe in God, it's more wrong to not believe to have a religion than just being Christian, for example. So um, we went to see a mosque and they came out and said, oh yeah, we really want to show you this. And although that you're not Muslim, it is, we feel like it's our duty to show you the, the real, like, the real, uh, the real Iran, the real local experience, although that we are not, uh, Muslims. So we got into this, uh, this big mosque and had to experience that and just see these crazy, incredibly beautiful architecture that a mosque is and see how the local people, they use it as it also a place to relax and contemplate. And that was just something that I never had thought I'd experienced and not at all thought that I'd see when I was there and gave me a whole new perspective on religion as well, um, especially around the Islamic faith. And I think that's very healthy when you are live in a country that is as uh, circulated as Denmark is to kind of like put yourself in uh, and actually meet and see locals and how they practice their own religion. Um, but I don't know. That was just one thing that kind of spurred to mind. A lot of the time, I am kind of the odd one out because I am the one who want to go cycling in weird places. I people ask why do I want to do that. I mean, it's places that you are not supposed to go cycling, either that being Tokyo or, or Los Angeles. I mean, people look at me like I am crazy when I say, "Okay, can I can I rent a bike and just go around biking around the city and explore stuff?" And just, yes, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of the weird thing.
2: Um, Do you bike by yourself or do you bike with the
1: team? Uh, When I go traveling, I often bike just by myself because my agenda is not having an agenda, if that makes sense. I want to have that freedom of just being able to go around and explore exactly what I want to explore and change direction if I want to. And it's not as easy when you're with people. It's nice and all to have company and I ride a lot with company now that I've gone into road cycling a bit more. So that, that changes a lot, but when I'm in that mode that I want to go, okay, now it's behind handlebars time to explore the city. I prefer to do it alone. I also think like what you said about like,
0: like Iran, it's like really important because I know that like, a lot of people say that like on the media, like, you know, countries like Iran, like Syria, maybe places in Africa, they're all depicted as like really violent, really like third world and like really poor kind of, and like everyone there is just kind of like, like suffering. That's what, like that's like the image that you kind of create in your head, but like I've also like seen on like like travel channels on YouTube, like people go to these countries and then, like the people there, they're like really friendly and they're really like kind of like down to earth and they're just kind of like living their normal lives. They're just living like you know like kind of like the same lives that like the the same life that like I live, the same life that you live. So it's really like, yeah, yeah. If, like you know go go to all these places that most people will probably never want to visit and just kind of to like, see like the
1: less life like there. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm totally fascinated by that, and uh, that's also why that I of course just wanted to, to go to these places because I think it's it's so important to go meet the people instead of just taking the things we hear on media as the 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 everlasting truth, uh, because of course you only hear one side of the story, and there's going to be no doubt about that. Also, Iran and North Korea, for that matter. I mean they got something completely wrong going on in the country regarding how the whole country is, is run and uh, the rules that they have. But if you try to take that like off the table for just a minute and meet with the people there, that will really enrich your life and give you another understanding and being able to see from both sides when you then discuss it with people. And for example, taking Iran, the Iranians are the most friendly people I've ever met in my whole life. I mean, it's absolutely insane because they are, uh, sadly, very aware of the image that Iran has in the media. And they would love to have more tourists and more people to come experience the country because it's, it's beautiful. So when we were walking on the street, me and my friend, I mean, if we were walking with a guy that, that could translate for us, old men would come over to to us and say in the, in the local tongue to, to the guy that could translate for us that hope that we had a good time and and we loved and like the country and and we would tell our friends about it back home and like it was crazy because when we went like when we got out of bed in the morning we were like ah oh, it's a bit tough to be like the only white guys uh, in iran because you really you really stand out and there's a lot of uh, yeah, people just see you and that's a privilege that uh, white people don't have in in other countries, so it's it's very unusual for us to have that feeling. But when you went out on the street, you just instantly started to smile because everyone was so so friendly and so happy. So we could literally be home at night and feel like our like chins were were hurting because we'd smiled the whole day. Just because uh, I'm not exaggerating, it was crazy, and that's just something that you would never have thought. Like who would tell that story? Unless you go there yourself and experience it, right?
2: I mean, um, outside of Iran, like when you've traveled places, what are like the coolest people you've met? The coolest conversations you've had? Like, could you tell us about that?
1: Uh, the, the coolest conversations, yeah. The thing is, when I go cycling countries, I I, I rarely get to talk to a lot of different people <laughs> okay. because I'm just in my in my own mindset all the time, just cycling around. So it's 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 really it's really difficult. I was doing an exchange here in. Taiwan, uh, where I also fight around the city there, and the Taiwanese are uh, not as Chinese as they are Japanese, which makes them really friendly and really concerning about uh, about your like how you are and that you're doing good. And I think that left a big impression on me as well. But I mean, I, I gotta say the, the the coolest conversation I also had was in Iran. Like people are so friendly, so we got in touch with with a guy in that very mosque that I talked about that we talked with and he agreed to say, hey, I'm gonna show you around the next couple of days. And we went around the city and he could talk to us freely about how he experienced the country and how they also drink alcohol, despite that it's it's almost a a, a death sin to do it. I mean, the young people, they still go around drink alcohol and they are still as uh, Western as we are. They're just not allowed to express it. And to like have that, communication around how it is to to be a local in a community that is so suppressing of uh, of any like liberty if that makes sense is really fascinating really interesting that really leaves some art and I'm, I'm mentioning that because it stands out over most conversation that i've had traveling because it's it's very unique that you get that kind of insight uh most countries that you get to travel to are um uh, very similar culture-wise. I mean, if I travel any place in Europe, I can imagine it's somewhat the same culture despite that we live in different countries. I mean, we live in democracies and we have a somewhat equal standard of living and do the same thing. We go to bars, we meet friends, we play soccer. I mean, all these kind of things, right? So it's very rare that you get to talk to people that have such a different view of the world that people in Iran, for example, or in North Korea for that matter The North Koreans are not as much uh, in liberty to express themselves as the Iranians are. And that makes it really, really interesting.
2: Um, So just like circling back to marketing and like um, your social media, how did you like build your fan base? How did you get followers? How was that process?
1: I think there's different aspects to that. First of all, it's uh, persistence. And for me, it was having a concept i kind of when i started i knew it was a good idea and i knew that the stars aligned quite well for something that people would like even though that i didn't know much about social media or i didn't know anything about photography but kind of being on instagram just casually with my own profile i kind of figured out okay it's easy to get attracted to uh, feeds with a theme mm-hmm. because then you know what to expect and it's created so i thought okay it's it's pretty good idea and if I'm just consistent about it and decide to do it every day, I think that's gonna kind of something that is gonna kind of make people see, okay, there's something going on here where a guy' is really passionate about it. That's, that's one part of it, but as it is with particularly Instagram which has been the platform that I've been using the most and also started on, uh, it's really difficult to just get discovered by people if you are just uh, sitting there expecting people to discover you, right? So you have to be very proactive about it as well and invest a lot of time. I mean, one thing is to create great images and captivating captions, but another thing is is also to engage with other people. And with that, I mean, with Instagram, what you give is something you can expect in return, basically, so if you give a lot of likes, you can also expect to give a lot of likes. So it is like, kind of you should see it as kind of this whole, Bulletin board, the real estate market that you have to put yourself on the eyes of people. Otherwise, they, they're never going to see you. Right. And the only way you can do that is by also putting your like, putting your feet in front of their eyes by liking them. So I also made it kind of a, a part of my daily routine to spend a lot of time just uh, engaging with the people that follow me, but also people that I thought would be interested in what I had to offer. And slowly and steadily that kind of grew and of course i've spent five years on it now so it this whole development was not something that happened overnight i haven't had a huge like viral influx of new followers it has been like a gradual increase throughout the five years which i think is very healthy and i think that's a health sign of a project and so just being patient and always setting new goals for what you want to do and just have have fun with it as well always build something on it and also take the small victories
0: yeah so uh, a little bit of a bonus question uh so i know that soccer or football is very
1: popular in europe so uh do you have a team that you support absolutely i support sc copenhagen my local team and uh yeah that's the only team I, i i support to be honest uh it's quite unusual here usually uh People that are into soccer, they have multiple teams that su- support uh, throughout the world. I uh, haven't had that, like, I just can't, I just have one team and that's the team that are here, is here in my city. And I have a season pass for that team. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Are you guys into soccer or? Uh, I watch a little
0: bit of it. I watch uh, the Premier League. I'm
1: not a top end. fan. Top fan, okay,
2: yeah. I mean, personally, I don't You're really watch going- soccer, but um, I'm really into tennis, so.
1: Okay, yeah. Not really a big sport in Denmark actually, but uh, Yeah. <laughs> although are that we any... had some pretty good tennis players, yeah. Yeah, are there
0: any sports or like any other teams that you're into?
1: In soccer? or it just any sport, like, that you're <laughs> interested in or that you watch? Uh, I watch, now I watch a lot of cycling, uh, like a pro, pro, pro tour cycling, uh, but that's not a team. I mean, I, I feel like, at least for me, it's difficult to get really to fall, as to fall in love with a team in any sport uh, if you don't have the possibility to kind of go and support it uh, so i can easily get fascinated by teams or players uh, in, in certain sports uh, but then like it's kind of a fling it goes away and then something else takes over and but i think that's the beauty of it as well it also makes it easy to just enjoy it as neutral uh whatever sport it is but i've had it with like uh, with what we call american football here uh, as well like then i had a period of watching that a lot and uh, uh, then it kind of faded away when i couldn't like i didn't have the channel on the tv and then i stopped watching that and like so it, it goes up, up up and down uh i kind of rooted a bit for the giants uh, my uncle is uh, is american and my uncle and aunt lives in new york so i kind of of course had to 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 follow the giants giants as well yeah I remember when I was younger, I used to have like
0: uh this like phase kind of where I was really into ice hockey. Like I followed our I, I basically was a fan of like our our like local team, the Chicago Blackhawks.
2: And like they I remember they
0: like they won like two like championships uh back when I like supported them a lot. And then after a while it kind of like tapered off and then like I like watched their games less. And then like I remember after that, I got into baseball. Because that was around the time when, like, another like our local baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, we won the the baseball championship after like 100 years of not winning it,
1: so that was really Ooh. cool.
0: But then after that, like, I stopped, I, I stopped watching them
1: as well. Yeah, yeah. But that's the beauty of it, right? That you can kind of get it into these small things with the sports, of players, the teams that just like, oh, right now it's really awesome. And I get the weirdest like things with sports. Like, for example, this past year, I started watching a lot of like. Disc golf, for example, like that's super weird sport, very like niche sport, but then you get really into that and watch a lot of that. And then it kind of tapers off a bit. Like it's, it's so weird, but it's, it's a lot of fun.
2: Um, so like other than cycling, what other hobbies do you have?
1: I play a lot of soccer myself and I've been doing that uh, for my whole life. That has been kind of my main sport. Uh, in Denmark, uh, I'd say like half of the young boys, they started soccer when they're five, six years old and then they play it throughout the, all throughout their their childhood until they start drinking alcohol or want to go to parties instead of playing, playing soccer. Uh, that's, that's very normal. I mean, here in Denmark, you're very liberal with the, when we can drink alcohol. So that kind of is when you go to high school, you know, kind of a lot of people, they make the decision, okay, do I want to play a lot of soccer or do I want to live the more normal high school life? And that happened for me as well. So I, I do that in my spare time as well. I have a team uh, that I started in my high school. We have a 10 year anniversary this year. That's a lot of fun. And um, other than that, I play music. I played uh, bass, guitar, electric bass for 18, 17, 17, 18 years as well. And have different bands where we go play to company events, to weddings, all sorts of different things. And I think that's that's so much fun. And that's a big privilege to be able to be paid to go just have fun with your friends and, and play at these parties, and I do it as a as a DJ as well when I get the opportunity to do it. And uh, yeah, so music music and sports has a big big place in my heart and something that I, I'm never going to be without.
0: Uh, who's your favorite soccer player?
1: My favorite soccer player? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to say like Messi or Ronaldo or, or one of the big guys. I think that's um, that's going to be too easy. Probably, I've been always been really fascinated about the midfielders. Maybe like a guy like Andrea Pirlo, uh, if you know yeah,
0: him. Yeah, Pilo,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this Italian legend, but it's also because of his whole way of life. Like when he played at the very highest level, he was still like smoking cigarettes when he played like, yeah, in the World Cup final. Yeah, and then
2: he's just so classy, but still so
1: yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing soccer player. So I think that's just something that you, you cannot level love him. Sure. Yeah. He, he manages uh, Juventus Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, He's such a character, such a character. Uh,
0: who's,
1: who's your, your favorite friend? Danish player? Favorite Danish player? Uh, it's a guy called uh, Thomas Delaney. He plays for Borussia Dortmund. I think he has American answers as well. Hence the Delaney name. Uh, but, he's just, but it's very much because he's the same player as I am. He plays the same position, and he played in my uh, NSC Copenhagen, my club, and also was in the youth department when he was promoted to the first team and then became captain. So like this whole Cinderella story, and he's on the national team now, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just really a fighter, but can also score goals. So yeah, he's my favorite player.
2: Um, Would you have ever considered like taking soccer and making it a career for yourself?
1: I did when I was younger uh when i was like 14 15 years old i guess i think i played at the highest level that i played on uh i was was in a team where we practiced three times a week and had a match in the weekends and like as i mentioned that's also where you kind of have to decide okay which what what kind of life is it that you want to live is it that you want to invest it all in in playing soccer and Do that instead of like having this big social life outside of school that's when you spend the time playing soccer or do you want to uh to have that and that decision was quite easy for me i didn't i didn't like it just came naturally just like nah i don't want to invest that much time into playing soccer so i didn't want to i didn't want to do that but also because when i was little i was quite small a very like normal height but when i got into like the what what is that called like the end of just before high school, I grew a lot and now I'm two meters tall. I don't know, six six foot three or four. I don't know how much it is. And so I'm very tall, not a very good height for a soccer player. So that also made it like, okay, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not I'm not built for this. I should have played basketball instead. You could,
0: you could be like a pretty good
1: goalkeeper though. Since you're a I could, kid. yeah. But I mean, it, it's pretty late to start being a goalkeeper when you're 15, right? <laughs> I should have done that when I was a kid then I could be really good, yeah, you're right.
2: Um, did anyone ever like discourage you from like being on the path that you're currently on? Because this is like, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of like what people call like a riskier path or something.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, one part is that I've always had very encouraging parents, like I could do whatever I wanted. And I've been fortunate enough to, the two things that I started on, like music and soccer, that my parents, they took me to, I liked that. I didn't have any reason to like stop or they didn't have any reason to discourage me to do it uh, it has been very easy and of course they wanted me they wanted to pay for it and pay for the lessons that i had to do to, to, to play music and all that uh, in regards to behind handlebars project is something that i started besides my university studies so it's been like a hobby project on the side for the whole time um so that has kind of made the decision easy to just keep it going because I was, I knew that I was on a path to where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to get a master's degree in something. And having the Behind Halo Pass project on the side was just, initially was just a fun project that I could do. And then turned into like my part-time profession that I was part-time studying. And then part-time I did Behind Halo Pass on the side where I tried to also make this like small business around it where I sold my pictures as posters and i did some merchandise and bar tape and kind of create like a more uh more of a brand out of it and i was enabled to, to do that besides my studies as well and invest my time so i didn't have to have a uh, a part-time job on the side but we also very like we're very privileged in denmark because we get paid by the government government to study so a lot of people they don't like it's not necessary to have uh, a full time job on the side of the studies as you are in a lot of different places. Like we can get education free and we even get money to, to, to study on the side. But that's a crazy, crazy to be in. And then of course, what was enabled me to continue working as much as I did on behind handlebars because I didn't need to have an income on the side.
2: That's really amazing. I feel like a lot of people get discouraged from taking paths like that, but um, it's really cool that you had like a really encouraging experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's also because it, it was an easy decision to make. Like, I didn't have any uh, discouraging factors. Like, I come from a, a very homogenous family and a very like living in the suburbs of Copenhagen. We didn't need anything. Uh, we had a really good life. So in that aspect, I I didn't have to compromise. And I feel like a lot of people they are they need to give up on their their dreams or, or decide to invest their time differently because they simply need to in order to make money or get an education or or something like that. Uh, But in my life and my privileged life in Denmark, it's just, we have that possibility to just go pursue something on the side and uh, just be on the path to being where we want to be. Despite that, we have something that we also do on the side that might be more interesting, uh, might be our number one passion because we don't have to uh, invest and get in depth when we, when we take an education, right? So we also allow ourselves to do it. I mean, I, I had a good friend, I visited a friend in, in Los Angeles that, that studied uh, a year in the, at UCLA, and his classmates, they just had such a different attitude towards the studies because they pay for it. So like, it's very normal when you're at university and they to just skip a class and be like, ah, I don't feel like doing it today. But his classmates were just like, I'm not going to skip a class because every class is like two thousand dollars. If you make it up like that, so of course I'm not going to skip a class. It's insane. So it's a whole different attitude, right? It's it's your path to doing something else, and you don't want to don't want to waste it, right? So we can have a very like relaxed attitude towards our studies because it's free. Yeah, I feel
0: like over here, like a lot of people definitely have a lot of like passions or like, things that they want to do, but it's obviously not possible for them because they have to like take in like like financial like concerns. So it's really nice to like over there like you guys can just like, kind of like, just like have like support from the government in order to like pursue what you want to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But but still I feel like Americans are better at uh, at least trying to grab the opportunities ahead of them than we Danes are, for example, because we are, we have this weird thing in Denmark. It's called the, the law of Jense, Uh a very Danish thing, uh, which is like an unwritten rule. That you shouldn't go around bragging about what you do. Like a very good example of that is when you're in LA. uh, At least that's what I experienced. People they like they say their profession is what they aspire to be. For example, I'm a I'm a screenplay writer, but in reality they work at a coffee shop. (laughs) But in Denmark, people would turn it the other way around and say, "Yeah, I work as a barista," but downplay what they actually do. And it took me a while before I recognize myself as uh, working on social media. And I still hate to go around saying that, like we have this humble attitude towards it, which is really like, it's not really good because you should be, uh, it should be okay to to stand up for who you are and what you do. But we just have a country here where where you shouldn't go around bragging about what you do, which is why I rarely go to a party when I meet someone for the first time. And the first thing I say is I have an Instagram with. 46,000 followers, and that's my main profession. It was easy for me to say, no, I'm a full-time student. And then when we got talking, I would say, yeah, I also have this on the side, it could come up casually. So I wasn't the one bragging. That's really weird, but I feel like Americans are better at just acknowledging who they are. And that makes it easier to like kind of telling yourself, enabling yourself to pursue your dreams because you are saying, yeah, this is what I do. This is what I want, this is who I am.
2: I mean, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I agree. You should always be proud of what you do, of who you are. And that's kind of like what this podcast is for. It's so you can showcase like what you're doing, and it's really yeah, really yeah, yeah. inspiring. <laughs> well, that's all for today, guys. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow us on Instagram at Wheels for All, and check out our website at www.wheelsforall.org. Thank you so much for joining us today on our Roll On podcast, Oliver. Um, it out- was
1: absolutely my pleasure.
2: Yeah. Um, Check out his Instagram at Behind Handlebars and his website at BehindHandlebars.net. Anything else you want to plug in here? No,
1: uh, Behind behind Handlebars on Instagram, that's my uh, main platform. That's where I invest the most of my time.
2: Um, See you all next time. This is Trey and David signing off.